Welcome to another episode of Red Skies, where we seek to read the cultural signs of our times in conversation with thought leaders from around the globe. Our goal is to find a path for our future as the church, asking the question, how can we as followers of Jesus be good news to an ever chaotic and divisive world? This podcast is brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective, a community and catalyst for movement leaders worldwide, and 100 Movements Publishing, seeking to change the conversation, shift paradigms, equip leaders, and inspire missional discipleship, and is produced and presented in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance, a generative, expansive, and intercultural network around theology and practice. You can find out more about the book, Red Skies, 10 Essential Conversations About Our Future as the Church, as well as other tools available to help your church, organization, or movement at redskiesfuture.com. The book can also be purchased on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and other platforms where books are sold. You can enter the missional conversation with other movement leaders around the globe at movementleaderscollective.com. And now for this week's episode. Hey, well, we're on with uh, two of my favorite people uh, in the world, one in uh, the UK and one in Australia. And I'm so glad to have Rich Robinson, Alan Hirsch joining me for this inaugural podcast uh, for Red Skies, which is kind of going in tandem with the book and the release of the book. Um, I'm not just glad to have you guys on because you both have cool accents. Um, And to us in America, you sound the same, even though we know that you don't. But because um, you are two of the thought leaders that were um, really pivotal and even in my thinking and kind of thinking about this book as a general editor and kind of getting it going. Um, and so just really glad to have you, Rich. How are you? It's about 10 o'clock at night in the UK as we're recording this. You feeling okay? Doing, doing well. Yeah. Always yeah. conversations with yourself and Alan are always enjoyable. And th- this is a topic, uh, just the, the imagination, church, future, different ways that we can see God's potential released. Uh, I, energizes me it's what what i feel like it's part, part of what i've been put on the earth for so great to be with yeah. you great to be able to dialogue around this looking forward to it that's great alan hirsch always good to be with you friend and uh Likewise, I hope, right. hope you're doing well and yeah, how's I'm how are things well. down down under how are things yeah yeah good you know like we we're starting to maybe just deal with the fact that we now can't escape covid we've, we've kind of been yeah. in the most locked down city in the world melbourne and uh, it's it's now getting out, so you know I'm just getting ready to get COVID, as you have just had it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It is what it is, you know. Strange we're times. Good. Well, both of you um, were contributors uh, to this book, along with several other authors uh, that we invited into the conversation. And um, you know, one one of the one of the primary genesis thoughts of this book. Um, in my thinking, was came from shaping of things to come, Alan. Which, it, ironically, Red Skies as a book is looking about twenty years into the future, asking authors to say, you know, how are we good news as the church over the next twenty years in light of kind of the um, uh, cultural disruptions and chaotic times that we're facing now. 
Um, 20 years ago, you and our friend Mike Frost were writing a book that was very pivotal uh, in the missional conversation, asking some of the same questions, maybe not as specific, but around general church ecclesiology, leadership, um, and some of those issues. And I, I kind of found, I find it, you know, ironic or not ironic that some of those things we're starting to see come to pass right now as as leadership starts to kind of break down um some of our attractional methods of ecclesiology are starting to wane a little bit um, and so before we get into red skies topics in this book i'd love to just alan have you kind of thought like like back to shaping of things to come and kind of where we are now um, some of the things that we're seeing come into fruition. The funny thing is, uh, you, know, you know, I haven't, you know, specifically, but um, until you kind of raised it. Uh, but um, the truth is actually, yes, we were grappling with um, issues, what we felt in Australia, um, probably more so because, because of the advanced kind of post-Christian culture, we never really even had a particularly Christian culture. There's a whole lot of history behind that. But we were experienced ourselves as Westerners um, and, you know, experiencing um, the church being ejected pretty much from society and become pretty ineffective. Um, and we were struggling to try and um, say, well, under these conditions, these cultural conditions that we're having to kind of engage in, that we find ourselves in, how do we respond appropriately and you know of course we reached into something of the deeper missiology uh, latent in scripture and discovered some you know of the the impulses there and begin to to articulate that but it did prove to be a prophetic book mm -hmm. and uh because in a sense we were speaking from the future of the west at least as far as a, as the u.s and mm -hmm. maybe canada was concerned where it was lagging behind i mean they're usually ahead of us in most things but uh, under, under these things, we were somewhat ahead. And so our articulation um, did have a prophetic edge to it. And it, it has, a, you know, in a sad way, proved yeah. to be true. I think we are now finding ourselves, America increasingly, and I think it's going to just get accelerate very, very fast. Uh, the the post-Christian phenomenon, I think, is going to happen very, very quickly. And uh, you're going to find yourselves in the situation we found ourselves in uh, 20 years ago. So yes, absolutely. I think it had a strong implied eschatology. Yeah. I mean, Rich, I know you you deal a lot with movement leaders, pastors um, around the world. Um, are, are you sensing that there is now an awareness of, I, I hate to say an impending doom or, or use some kind of word like that, because we're not celebrating it at, at all. But do you, th you know, used to pastors weren't even aware. And so people like mm -hmm. Alan and Mike and others were kind of, you know, shouting into the wind and irritating people with that kind of message. But now are you seeing more and more pastors are kind of aware that there's a shift and, and they have to think of think of a new way? Yeah, I, I would say as a European, probably my my lived perspective has been similar to alan's in australia that actually the reality for the the european church 
the center of culture and society and being looked at and listened to and, and esteemed is was long gone and is long gone. So for me, the, the North American experience was a very different one to the European experience. So the European leaders that I work with have have almost grown their match fitness for innovation and imagination because of the exile context. So it's gone one of two ways of sort of sheltering within the denomination and the older forms of ecclesiology or pushing out into new frontiers and being incredibly innovative and, and imaginative. I think in the North American context, COVID was a, a slap in the face for many, um, as it was globally. But in terms of the forms of church, I think the shift has been probably bigger and the disruption has been bigger for the more primarily attractional North American church. So I think what I see, uh, and for me, there's it's a bittersweet reality, I think, because COVID is a both a great challenge, a, a, a generation-defining challenge and a generation-defining opportunity. It really is an adaptive challenge that could make or break the church. And I don't like to use that language that feels sensationalized and this is a That's moment true. and everything's going to be different the other side. But what I what I see in leaders is on a very physical, emotive level, huge challenge and stress. 18 months of everything I've been trained for has just gone out the window in, in a week and a half. However many years I've been in ministry, the patterns, the cadence, the experience, the training, just up in smoke. So I'm trained to be a bus driver and I'm being asked to conduct an orchestra overnight. Sort of, I've been trapped. It's like, where on earth do I start? So there's been this sort of huge disruption, huge shift, pressure, challenge, new frontier, but also huge opportunity. And we'll talk yeah. about the, the opportunities, I'm sure. So I, I think. I'm always sort of, my enthusiasm is tempered, but also my despair is tempered because of either extreme is not a helpful, this is going to break the church or this is going to make the church. It, it's a heady mix of both, I think. Well, I mean, we kind of know from experience that liminality is uh, usually proves to have a good result but we never want to go through it, right? I mean, it's kind yes. of like you don't want to go to the gym and work out, even though you know the the, the, um, the result is going to be good. And I think I even I even quoted in the intro of the book. I can't I can't remember the exact quote right now, but it was from Shaping, uh, where where you and Mike write, um, you know that but that basically we have to go through those adaptive liminal times in order to reinvent and to find new ways and recreate. And so, um, you know, perhaps th this is the medicine that we need, you know, in the American North American church in order to get us, you know, to get us shifted where we need to need to go. So the interesting thing is like saying, like it's a, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you a lot better, <laughs> which is actually, is a, if you think about COVID as yeah. if the disease doesn't knock you out, you become stronger. And human beings, yeah, yeah. all living systems actually are built that way. They become anti-fragile, you know, um, by actually um, being vigorous enough to survive kind of catalytic experiences or liminal experiences. So, yes, there is something going on there. It's definitely painful and it's heartbreaking to see so many friends of ours, you know, and people we've served 
all our lives, you know, in ministry, experiencing such stress and pain, and, and everything they've worked for is just bleeding out. And it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to see. But we have to, we have to see God's hand in it. Um, we have to discern what is God doing here and, and, and be attentive to that and respond properly. Yeah. And, and any any transition role, and I'm a, I'm a parent of teenagers, and, and you think of childbirth and then early childhood, teenagerdom, and we've got one heading towards young adults. Every transition is deeply painful. You lose something and you gain something. There's potential on the other side. There's danger on the other side. And, and, and it is a liminal space. It's a threshold experience. And so we shouldn't sensationalize it we shouldn't sure. glorify it but also we we shouldn't get lost within it so it really is a journey to to embrace the cross for resurrection embrace the greener pasture is ahead but there's a there's a valley to journey through there's a there's a desert before the promised land so and i think for me that's where i use the word imagination in my my intro because if we lose sight of the greener pasture the valley is just cold and dark and hard and and it's mm -hmm. it's easier to go back to egypt than it is to go through the desert it's easier to pick the patchy field rather than go through for the promise of the greener pasture so i think for a lot of people the challenge is actually about imagining a better future which is where where yeah. the book comes in i i've used the physiologically when the body is cold the heat, the body naturally conserves heat and pulls heat to the lungs, the heart, the reproductive organs. So it's survival mechanism at the center and imagination, innovation, anything different and risk feels like a finger or a thumb that we're prepared to lose for, for sort of frostbite just to keep everything going. And so we have to keep hope, faith, innovation, imagination, experimentation, that they have to be somewhere within our leadership psyche and practice rather than just trying to survive and, and wait wait this out and hope it hope it goes away or hope we get through it yeah yeah and i and i think the hope for the book obviously um, with all of us as authors and creators of it and i know all the other uh contributors um have a great hope for the church you know and and the reason for writing it is to um, provide a possible path forward for innovating, thinking of, of things differently, uh, recreating your, your faith community and your methodologies um, to kind of, you know, to go into a new culture, you know, with the gospel. And so, but man, that, you know, I've heard you talk about this, Alan, um, you know, this, the muscle memory of just old ecclesiology and methods and things that, um, you know, we've learned in seminary or whatever it is. Uh, are just so hard to break, and it's hard to it's hard to be apostolic when you're you're more of a kind of a shepherd teacher type. Um, so, I mean, is there do you have a, a suggestion of a pathway of hope for um, for pastors that are listening now and kind of feeling that tension? It's like, what are the kinds of things that they might start leaning into and um, and looking into yeah so uh, i think at the moment i think what we're seeing is actually <clears throat> in some quarters of the church for for instance a um, um all of a sudden an interest in 
issues like what now is called microchurch, which would have been called organic church or house church before. You know, microchurch is another name for the same phenomenon. But all of a sudden, this smaller, more adaptive unit has become a real option. And as uh, Rich has already pointed out, it's interesting that in nature, uh, nature uh, maximizes your chance of survival by reproduction. Um, so, for instance, when you prune a tree, the, the tree doesn't know, oh, uh, you know, I'm, this is for my good. Mm-hmm. What the tree feels is it's being threatened, um, you know, with all the, the, you know, the branches cut off. And what it does, it invests in the fruit. And the fruit, of course, carries seeds. The seed is the future. The seed is the mm-hmm. hope. <laughs> and yeah. I think there you have it there. I think, um, you know, it's interesting now we're seeing churches begin or leaders begin to look at you know what would happen if you were being pruned as a tree you're going to invest in the reproductive side of things how do you survive is not by growing 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 into the sky so that every tree the tree survives by producing fruit and so i think we're going to be challenged to not all of us will go here of course because i mean many people just will not go here but i think i don't think there's a way back to i think the 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 media thing has changed everything uh if you you know the digital church is the cat's out of the bag there's no putting it back in there and people now can stay at home we've cultivated consumerism yeah uh, by you know kind of fancy kind of you know attract and amuse style church um but the problem now is that people can now sit at home flip the pancakes don't they can stay in their pajamas and they don't have to pack the kids up and get to church and the schlep of it all they now, and not only that, they can choose between two hundred thousand services, yeah. you know, and it's all come to their home now. So that's there's no putting that cat in the bag. We think it's going to go back to normal. I, I personally don't think it will, and uh, so we're going to have to find ways to to not simply going to just long for what it was before. We're going to have to move, and I think this is the way I think God is. We have to see God's hand in it. That God promises that He will discipline His people. He will prune the tree. He does it for our good, and I think we have to see God's hand here um, in forcing the church. Uh, interestingly, the, in the Book of Acts, of course, you have the Jerusalem church. Um, you know, the flame of the gospel is spread through persecution of the church, which wouldn't have felt would have felt like COVID to them. It was felt terrible and and very dangerous. I mean, um, people died and were persecuted but that actually spread the flame of the gospel through and that was one of the kind of factors of which got got people out of the kind of the the, the attractional zone into the missional zone so i i think um i think again we need to pay attention to what what's god doing here and actually sending the church into into our true identity yeah i don't know if you i don't know if you two have have been kind of watching the metaverse and vr church um, movement but the virtual church movement is amazing to watch we've got two authors in red skies that are you know jay kim wrote on uh, digital technology and he kind of writes from the perspective of i mean there's a sadness in in digital because we lose kind of the incarnational community flesh on flesh aspects of, of being together um, but then Michael Beck, for example, I know he has a VR church called Living Room Church that's in the metaverse. And so you can you can sign on and have, you know, um, have your own, own little person that goes into church and they do communion and do everything. Uh, 
uh, in the metaverse. So um, it, it, do you have any thoughts around that, Alan, as to, um, you know, in, incar- incarnation or extraction because of digital and how, um, how do we engage a new digital universe if we're trying to build incarnational communities? So yes, one of the, the one of the ways we could conceivably do this is like to say, okay, so if let's say our gathering, the standard gatherings are kind of now, you know, up for grabs. Uh, there will be some who do it very well and still going to kind of survive, but most of us are going to have to think very seriously. What about this? Maybe think about reconceive the church in our own minds as maybe distributed down every street. You've got now people living there. They've got a house. They've got you know, they've got a kitchen. Um, American houses tend to be quite large. Why not think about this? Is that reorganized? Why don't you name them as ecclesia? See these as kind of legitimate expressions of God's people. And that maybe you can, you know, beam in some kind of sermon kind of component, provide some sort of liturgy. But why don't, why don't those people invite their neighbors to come and have breakfast with them? And Sunday morning and do some worship together, and but bolster that, actually see that as a new form of church and get behind it and reorganize, um, put some staffing time into kind of strengthening the hands of people in, in, in the local neighborhoods. And all of a sudden you might find yourself with, you know, tons of churches. Um, uh, the thing is we need to be able to name them as, as the Bible would name them as Ecclesia, the Ecclesia in Chloe's house. Um, yeah. We don't see that as church because somehow, you know, in our imagination, we can't name that as a cliche, but that's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the primary form. Um, um, you know, I remember hearing an a African immigrant pastor in, in England, actually, um, at the beginning of COVID, and he was saying he had a very large church. He was a Ghanaian pastor, a huge Ghanaian immigrant church in, in, in London, and he was saying all these other friends in these big immigrant churches, huge churches in, in England, uh, he's saying all of them were saying, oh, the church is closing, the church is closing, this hand ringing, you know, and he said, no, 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 the church isn't closing, it's opening up in a thousand other places. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's he good. had it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's it. If we can see that as actually an opportunity to become what God had actually intended in some ways in, in the first place, incarnational expressions of church down every, in every neighbourhood, and can you get behind that and strengthen it and make it work and then scale it out? Wow, we're, we're onto a movement again. And that's just one of the things that we are beginning to see people take seriously. Yeah, perhaps this microchurch conversation, uh, which is taking off here in the States, um, you know, that'll <clears throat> help some churches move toward that innovation. I mean, I know even our own church here. Um, we recently launched a microchurch network. We didn't get rid of our Sunday service, but we're yep. just engaging. We're, we're engaging a dispersed posture. Like we're not, you know, we're not afraid of being dispersed. We're actually going to embrace yeah. that as a new, yeah. a new future. So, um, so yeah. that's the way Love forward. The book of Acts. Yeah. Well, Alan, one of the things I love about you is that you constantly make up words uh, new words and and you put things together to make up new words and you did that in the intro of this uh, book uh, can can you can you just unpack that a little bit for us and I love this aspect of like having a sense for the future 
Um, but but un unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, I do have a penchant for making new words. Uh, it irritates <laughs> some people, but actually what I do with that is to try and help people think differently about familiar things. So having a new word means to make people think because they don't know the word, they have to kind of discover about it. So the word is eschatesthesia, eschatesthesia, the idea of es eschatology or eschaton, the, the, the future now, as the future impinges upon the present. Mm -hmm. Esthesia is your sensibilities, your, um, your appreciation, your uh, engagement with that. And it's kind of like how I've been feeling um, personally, Eschatesthetic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like um, I've been feeling like the the future playing itself out in me personally, in the you know apocalyptic, and that's a word um, I you know that is of course in scripture. Yeah, um, we often see it as like you know the Mad Max kind of scenario, but you know, and it, I guess it can go there, um, but largely it's kind of like uh, apocalyptic is revelatory or it's exposure. Uh, I feel very exposed. Um, you know, I feel God's laying things bare in me. I think, oh gosh, you know, like, and I know the church is feeling this way too. With all our, our fragilities um, are being revealed, it's a peekaboo, you know, it's like the curtains being pulled back and, oh, that's been going on all along, but we didn't realize it. And that's really what the book of Revelations is about. And the seven churches are called yeah. to re repent. They get exposed. And I think, that's what's really happening. And eschatosthesia is this idea of just being feeling the future pressing itself upon us in a Kairos thing. Um, I feel the future working itself out in me now. Um, and I mean, and it's, it's actually caused a lot of personal pain and struggle because it's, yeah. it's exposed a lot of stuff in me and, um, and vulnerabilities and sins and all that stuff, which again is the work of God. He had to bring me to this point. But I would argue that eschatosthesia was is something we need to pay attention to. How is the future trying to press press itself through us now to change the, the course of history? Um, and how do we follow God's God's work in that's that? Good. So I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah. I'm thinking about getting a t-shirt with it on it, showing up at Exponential, <laughs> just to start some conversations. Like, what does that mean? You know, I, didn't, I didn't learn that. I didn't learn that. I, I imagine, Roland, no, nobody's got the domain yet because nobody <laughs> can spell it. So you're, you're probably all right on that front. <laughs> yeah, that might not be a good marketing move to, to get no, it, no, you know, because no one can spell it. Well, let me, before we, before we kind of wind down, let me turn uh, attention to um, kind of a topic that, that both of you guys are, are very involved in and actually are partnering together in several things. And that's kind of around leadership. And, and I know, Rich, you're, you lead Movement Leaders Collective, which Alan, um, you know, was the, the birth giver of and um, 5Q and a lot of training around APEST and MDNA and things like that kind of come out of that, that wheelhouse. And we have listeners that are leaders and pastors. And so, you know, I'd love to just kind of quickly hit as we're as we're thinking about the next 20 years and how we shape our churches and our organizations to to be good news to this coming culture um how does leadership fit into that and and maybe the spreading out of leadership the understanding of ephesians 4 a little bit 
um, and and also maybe hit some you know what is how does MDNA how can that help churches think about this kind of missional shift and um, this missional impulse into a new future. So could, could you guys give some voice to what you do every day around those areas? Yeah, it's great, great question. There's about four, four questions in I there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick a couple and Al can have, have a couple. Um, I think for me, almost I'd start by going back probably about five minutes talking about microchurch. I think one of the things I've said consistently is don't make the vehicle the vision. The danger in this moment is we reach for the vehicle. So it's like giving people a car without teaching them how to drive or helping them to work out where they want to get to. And so the danger in this moment is we we seek vehicles, structures, things that are known or things that feel like silver bullets. Um, so I think for me, Good that's way. The, yeah, the plug and play, the system, the to-do list, and, and that's what Red Skies isn't. So for those listening, thinking, is this just a book that gives me a Rich and Allen vehicle, an MDNA answer, uh, whatever, this yeah. isn't just a sort of Trojan horse for our system, our model, our vehicle. Sure. This, this really is a book of conversations around key topics for the church. And so mm -hmm. for me, leadership is the three values for movement leaders collective we talk about re-jesus senius and movemental so re-jesus is christ-likeness so leaders have to grow and develop in christ-likeness so there's a spiritual formation mind soul and will fully submitted and renewed in christ there's a better picture of leadership which is more apostolic prophetic evangelistic shepherding teaching not charism not charisma not shepherd teacher not just teach and preach but actually there's a better picture of, of a christ-like leader and i think leadership has to become less management charisma framework far more christ-like seniors is that the genius of the scene the collective genius rather than the solo heroic genius leadership has to become more collaborative more communal it needs to not just be one person with everyone else helping carrying weight one leader multiple volunteers and followers but we have to learn and lead together more and then the third value is movemental that actually we need to begin to think far less ministry far more movement so generational and it's intergenerational, it's multi-generational, it's self-generating, it's life-giving. It, it is, Alan will talk about the movement swoosh. It is that picture of exponential growth, not additional growth or additional effort. So we're really looking for leaders that aren't just good in one or two places or heroes that have helpers or are just reading books and regurgitating systems, but there's a childlikeness to leadership that brings imagination and soft eyes and open mind there's a godliness to leadership that i think needs to come in this season and there's a, a servant-heartedness and a sacrificial nature that needs to come to leadership and so alan and i do a lot of training there's tools there's environments there's processes but the heart and the ethos is really to to help leaders to re-Jesus themselves and re-Jesus their movements, to begin to embrace MDNA, these six elements that 
Alan wrote about in The Forgotten Ways, these six elements that are latent, so they are existing already, but under the surface, maybe unseen, untapped, their movement potential that is already there within leaders. So Jesus is Lord, discipleship, disciple-making, missional incarnational impulse, apest, organic systems, liminality, communitas, Christ at the center, the engine and ethos of discipleship and disciple-making, the impulse to be missional, to go and to stay, the full expression of Christ in the fivefold, simple, scalable structures and a sense of risk and community. These six elements in a community, in an organization, in a movement. So for Alan and I, it really is Christ-like leaders, collaborative leaders, catalytic leaders that are unlocking the potential of these six elements within their, their context, whatever that context be. And we are honestly, most calls, Alan and I come off going, what a privilege, what a pleasure that the kind of people we get to serve, to meet, to partner with, it's just a gift. And so the Movement Leaders Collective is creating that environment, peer network, relational support, and then with the ecosystem where there's tools, training, resources to help help any leader and every leader go after movement, the releasing of the potential within them and their context. So there's lots more I could say, but that's, that's some of the thoughts for me in terms of both leadership and then how Alan and I are seeking to create environments that empower leaders to, to pursue movement. Yeah. How did he do, Alan? He <laughs> did very well. He did uh, good, yeah. He does. I mean, like, you know, we dance, we, <laughs> you know, we call ourselves fish and chips, you know, it's like we was made for each other. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but the only thing I would add to that, and just to um, underscore, the, the hopefulness is that these, these potentials are latent in the church. Mm-hmm. They're really there, you know, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, um, that God can take ordinary people and produce a movement that can change the world. Um, just look at the church in China in the last you know, 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. where those forces were latent, but under the conditions of persecution and terrible limin- and hard liminality, COVID is nothing comparison. Under those conditions, discovered this latency that came, you know, to the fore and, uh, you know, changed everything and they went to scale and they've, you know, they're still growing today. I think... That's the good news. Yeah. That's the yeah. good news. Is that the church is its own answer. And under the pressure of, of the eschaton, discovering that again and being faithful. That's the idea of being found faithful to what God has intended for us in the first place. Yeah. So um Al, let me let me just kind of leave you with the last question and just kind of ask. Um some of those conversations can be uh, kind of prophetically irritating or challenging, uh, like you know, you know, you might not choose to read some of those things uh, as a church pastor or leader. There are easier things to read. Why are these conversations important uh, for the future? I mean, why do we why do we need to press in to these places that are uncomfortable in culture and in the future? Well, you know, in some sense, it relates to <clears throat> this idea, this prophetic moment that we find ourselves in. And, and prophets, 
not everyone is classically a prophet in this, but this this book, and, and by the way, I would say your your brainchild, your vision, and uh, and brilliantly conceived and and developed by you, Brad. So well done, and you no, contribute you. beautifully. Um, the um, when the prophetic word comes to us, I mean, one of the challenges is what do we do with it? Do we want to hear it? No, mostly. Jesus says, you shut your ears and you rush at the prophet, right? And then you build a monument to them once they're dead, you know, and, and, he's, and he actually says it as a matter of judgment. You, you can't, w- 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 to experience a prophetic voice, usually it kind of is, is a challenge to faithlessness in us and calling us to more faithful expression. And um, it's a challenge. You don't have to agree with everything these authors say, um, but you but we have to grapple with all those issues. The digital, we mentioned the sexuality issue. That we can't dodge that anymore. It's just not possible. I mean, it's part of who we are. We need to help people negotiate the highly complex situation we find in the Western world with all sexual you know, stuff. But all these issues are, are absolutely critical. And, and so, yes, they're prophetic and they might irritate. It's kind of like... The, the sand in the in the pearl uh, in the oyster that becomes the pearl, and I think we need to allow that. Read it, be irritated by it. Um, it it's critically important that you do because all the you know all these issues are, are ones that are on top of us now, and our response right now is is not good. And it's not it's not the appropriate witness. We need to find new language, new narrative, new ways of communicating to culture that is good news. You know, so I think it's a challenge to us. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good word. Well, gentlemen, thank you uh, so much for having this conversation. And uh, it's always a joy to, to talk to you. And we'll have in the show notes how people can get hold of uh, Movement Leader Collective and continue the conversation and, and maybe lean into some of these tools and these hopes um, going forward. So, so thank you All for right. joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. God bless you, man. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining this episode of Red Skies, the podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective and 100 Movements Publishing in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance. You can join the conversation at movementleaderscollective.com and connect with us at Red Skies at redskiesfuture.com. And as well, pick up your copy of Red Skies 10 Essential Conversations for Our Future as the Church on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places that fine books are sold. Be sure to like this podcast and share it with others, and we look forward to continued conversations on our future as the church.